Hey pals, the episode of Voyager we're covering today deals with the topic of suicide, and I just wanted to give you a heads up if that's a sensitive subject for you, and also take this as a little opportunity. This episode is coming out in September, which is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and uh, if you're feeling that kind of despondence, I want to encourage you to reach out for help. You can call 1-800-273-TALK or text NAMI to 741741 if you're in the U.S., and a trained counselor will help you through what you're dealing with. If you're going through a thing, let me just say that the world is a better place with you in it, even if that's hard to see right now. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Voyager. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Oh boy, Adam. <laughs> we talked about having a segment for uh, the open today, but then we didn't prepare one. We no. talked about watching the the movie Death Wish, but then we didn't watch it. We talked more about watching Death Wish than we did the doing of it. You're right. Yeah. We talked a lot of shit. Yeah. I've seen Death Wish. It's been a long time. It's, I mean... It's a very different type of Death Wish than uh, we discuss in this episode. It's a very different type of Bronson, too. Like, Bronson was like a known movie star before then. Yeah. And Death Wish sort of started the long, I don't want to say decline, but Chuck Bronson just started being Death Wish Chuck Bronson for the rest of his career, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. You it's, never want your career to find a Death Wish inflection point, I don't think. Right? It's a bit like what happened to Liam Neeson with Taken. He got Death Wished. He got Death Wished. I feel like Bruce Willis isn't a bit of a... Death space like this now yeah. where it's just like i watched um there was a sci-fi movie on netflix that i was like oh sci-fi movie starring bruce willis i'm in mm-hmm. and it was like i couldn't believe how low budget it looked it looked lower budget than like the mighty Morphin power rangers tv show and it's like that what it asks of bruce willis is get in a super advanced war fight in space suit and run around killing people in this movie i think <laughs> It's emblematic of why and how people are reluctant to take risks on lower budgets, right? Because, like, as soon as you get that stink on you, the death wish stink. That's not coming off. All of a sudden, that's your price. Yeah. I'm not talking shit. I I know that, like, for every Taken, there's, like, 10 more Liam Neeson movies that are not as good as Taken is the issue. (laughs) And and you never know which is going to be which. We're saying this as fans of these people. Like, I'm a Bruce Willis fan. I'm a Liam Neeson fan. I would like yeah. to see them in more good movies. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> well, fortunately, this is a good episode of Star Trek, Adam. Filled with actors who are not doing it for the paycheck. No, they're doing it for the fun. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, boy. <laughs> I just got blasted. <laughs> I just, uh, the viewers at home saw this just the way I did, which was uh, you heard the can crack and then arcing across the frame were just ropes of foam hitting yeah. hitting the mic, hitting- All over my face. I mean, if you're into this sort of thing, uh, it hit Ben right in the glasses. 
My fantasy is to open two such cans at once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A friend of ours brought over some hard kombucha the other night for a dinner party, and we didn't actually crack into any of it, but I was like, oh, maybe I'll have a hard kombucha and see how that is while I'm recording show today. Is this your first time? You offered me one of those uh, when I was visiting a few days ago, and I didn't take you up on it. Yeah. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) Oh, no. Not a fan, huh? It's very bready. I'm I'm Uh, surprised at how bready it is, given that it is not a beer and how much of the, like, branding on the package is about how much not a beer it is. Well, that's too bad. You know, what's interesting, Ben, is I'm I'm drinking a a virgin kombucha right here. Oh. Yeah. No kombucha is entirely virginal, right? Oh, yeah. This kombucha has done butt stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yours is like somewhat tumescent and mine is turgid, I think, is the difference in hardness we're talking about. It is. I never used to have a taste for the stuff. I found one flavor that works for me. I think that's the difference. Wow. Yeah. I feel like they go with weird flavors on a lot of kombuchas. Hey, guess what I don't want to (laughs) drink? Uh, anything that just tastes like cayenne pepper for some reason. Yeah. Or yeah. like especially vegetal flavors. Get that out of here. You're not into a, a, a bomb of turmeric in your beverage? I want my kombucha flavored like red pop. Fago. <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop, Adam. <laughs> make, make it taste like that, please. <laughs> the Insane Clown Posse will soon reach an age where they're spraying kombucha mm-hmm. at the crowd. Mm-hmm. You think we'll ever get invited to the uh, to the gathering, Adam? Oh, I've been invited to the gathering. The, you know, uh, the gathering is virtual this As year. As performers, though, right? I mean, not just like by one of your fucking weird friends. Yeah. <laughs> I've got friends who are down with a clown. Yeah. I um, think... Uh, I don't want to perform at the gathering based on on what they did to to Tila, Tia Tequila. I yeah. think I would get Tia Tequila out there. Yeah, a lot of rocks would get thrown at you. I wouldn't like that at all. What if we had like a roadhouse style stage setup where there was like chicken wire in between us and them? I would need the smallest sized gauge chicken wire. Like it would basically <laughs> be totally opaque. Uh huh. No missile, no matter how small, yeah, is getting nothing, through this. Nothing's getting through the barrier. <laughs> it would basically be like a like a drum shield. How about like it's two layers of chicken? It's three ply. It's it's chicken wire on the outsides, and then the middle ply is like the stuff that is in like a screen door. Oh yeah. So you can still see through it, and it's you know there's transmission of sound and everything, but. Uh, even if somebody throws like a water balloon full of acid, it's not really going to get through that. <laughs> yeah, because that's what they throw at the gathering. <laughs> Probably more likely a water balloon full of white and black face paint, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I knew would your real... clown makeup look be? Would I knew you... real live juggalos in, in college who actually did the face paint thing and like went to the shows and whatnot. Has anybody ever like pre-visualized what it would look like if kiss and the icp like met for a street fight or something yeah a lot of face paint was spilled that day (laughs) the 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 gutters ran thick with a commingling of white and black face paints (laughs) like peanut buster parfait 
Yeah, because I started to ask you what your theme would be, and then it hit me that that's really more of a kiss thing. Like the ICP, yeah. it's not not really themed. It's just no. it's just insane clown as the theme. That's the theme. <laughs> it's a very short pitch. Yeah. What if there was a posse <laughs> of get this insane clowns? It's an idea so good they've lived off it for uh, more than twenty years, Ben. Yeah. It's a better idea than ours. Than we will ever be. I don't see us pivoting to independent country western movie. Do you think Dom Peretta has to like send them royalty money every time he talks about how important family is to him? I mean, I can only hope that there there's some sort of exchange happening there between those those two universes. Maybe that's the secret. What if we like? Hey, the friends of Desoto aren't just a bunch of people that enjoy a podcast. They're a family. The family you like. (laughs) Let me just kind of like, you know, push that a little bit harder. The family that won't confuse you by a really strange text at a really (laughs) odd hour. You're like, this is how we're going to connect? What? A friend of DeSoto would never just call you to see how you're doing. Get and that it's out really, of here. And, it, and, and they're really calling you to vent about their partner who is your other parent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not what a friend of DeSoto does. No. <laughs> a friend of DeSoto would never have a death wish, Adam. That's right. Uh, friends of DeSoto live forever. It's, it's the true. one thing about friends of DeSoto and our brand of friendship. Ben, you just did it. You came up with our pivot. You conjured it like so much foam out of the air that you shot at your own face. <laughs> Let's get into Star Trek Voyager Season 2, Episode 18. Death Wish. Revert course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. Hey, we got an erratic comet. Erratic comet situation. Its trajectory is erratic. How great would it be if it were just like wandering all over the road, like running into garbage cans and stuff. Yeah, the visualization that the uh, special effects department came up with didn't really sell how erratic this thing is. Yeah. I mean, it looked, I would never pull this Comet over. It's like it's doing fine by me. Yeah. Hey, Comet, get home safe. Do you think that this imagery was meant to evoke that one where the Enterprise D found the archive of the like ancient civilization? Was that masks? It sounds like you're describing masks. <laughs> <laughs> For the purposes of this episode, all of my impressions will be Chuck Bronson. Wow. <laughs> okay. I know that Chuck Bryant will really appreciate that. Yeah. Audience That's his of favorite one. Favorite bit. Audience of one. <laughs> this episode <laughs> this of Greatest Generation. This one's going out to UCB. Yeah. Love Which you, is buddy. a fifty percent greater audience than we usually have. <laughs> hey, let's get a core sample of this erratic comet. I was shocked that BLT did not go to engineering, stand right next to the warp core. Yeah, we'll and, beam this uh, right into engineering. Yeah. <laughs> Should have been the plan. Beam it into my loving arms. No, instead she goes to the transporter room and kicks this poor transporter tech off of the off of the panel. I gotta say, Adam. Captain Janeway's like excitement over finding 
something like a comet that doesn't behave the way yeah. a normal comet would is so infectious. She is so fucking excited about this thing. It might be something we've never encountered before. And when the guy just beams onto the transporter pad, it was such a like head fuck to me. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I thought this was really well done. They should have beamed over like a Jack Frost looking man. <laughs> I thought that then that then turned into Garrett Graham. Yeah, like he he did one of those <laughs> <laughs> Like he he doffs his snowman hat. <laughs> Milady. Oh man. Garrett Graham. His eyes dark like two pieces of coal. Yeah. That's that's what a snowman's got, right? Yeah. Also from Babylon 5. Yeah. Are you I mean, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I obviously wouldn't know that reference. Hey, are you into Babylon 5? No. Should I be? It's a man, man. And that's the big surprise, right? Because, I mean, he is a man, but also he walks right through that force field. Austin, that's not a man, that's my mother. <laughs> as soon as BLT tells Captain Janeway what happens, I love how fast she snaps into action. Janeway knows all about this Q shit, and she is not going to let this go down. She's read the briefings. Yeah. His makeup, I, I guess I was vaguely aware that John Delancey had like brown lipstick and extra... Dark under eyes uh-huh. as as like part of the look for Q. Yeah, but you when it's on really somebody with it. a much lighter yeah. coloring, like yeah, like John Delancey's like a fall, and this guy's a, <laughs> a spring or a summer, and uh-huh. it just looks it looks much stranger on him. These aren't my colors. It makes John Delancey's makeup more apparent. It does. Yeah. So he cues Captain Janeway and himself to. Uh, Neelix's restaurant. This is how the episode got its name, right? Because <laughs> Q's like, I'm going to take you to lunch, the worst restaurant in the galaxy. <laughs> he he walks right past the C rating that's hung in the window <laughs> from the health department. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're still open, so it's not like, it, you know, a D will get you, your doors shut, you know? They'll put a fucking bike lock on those things. Yeah, this is how you know that this Q doesn't care if he lives or dies. Yeah. I liked Neelix and Kess having no context for this. Is this some new chef she's interviewing? The Starfleet's sort of pick up what's going on in this in this room, but Neelix has like professional jealousy in this moment. Yeah, it's it's Q as celebrity in a yeah. fun way. Yeah, which is kind of an idea that I feel like they're doing a little bit on lower decks. Mm-hmm. Like, what if you worked on a shittier ship than the Enterprise and got to meet somebody from one of those adventures? Yeah, and there's a lot of background acting happening in this scene with respect to this concept. Yeah. A real, uh, uh, is that Q? Holy shit. Kind of react happening. I thought he had darker hair. What? Is he wearing some kind of lip shade? Do you think he'll say John Luck Pickard and you'll never be able to get that out of your head for the rest of your life? This Q is walking around this mess hall uh, like the Little Mermaid out on land, right? <laughs> he's practically singing a song about all of the things that he's seeing there. Yeah. And when he gets to Cass, he's like, oh, your people are amazing to me. I wish I, wish I could die like you. Yeah. Very excited about their mortality. Yeah. Especially Cass, who only lives for nine years. That really gets him going. 
I don't like how they don't give Kes really an opportunity to react about how awful this situation is for her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this would have been a great moment for her to freshen him up, and see <laughs> see whose powers are are greater. No, no kidding. That would have been awesome. <laughs> She's just like, get off my ship. <laughs> he seems ready to go at this point. He's chosen Neelix's as his place to die, yeah. and then sort of steps into. I mean, if there was a spotlight in this room, it would be pointed here in yeah. the room and his last words are very christ-like i thought mm. like out of context he's talking about like dying for other people making some yeah. sort of point you know i've had 300 years to think of appropriate last words i wanted something memorable and then obviously everyone who witnesses this takes exactly the wrong lessons from this moment and just warps <laughs> it forever and ever for their own personal reasons there's a uh, i think it's a philip pullman book called the good man jesus and the scoundrel christ oh yeah uh where, based on title alone that's interesting uh yeah it's like the gospel retold but it's two dudes and one of them is a is like just a normal man that is a nice person that tries to live a good life. And the other one is like tricking people with his, his magic sleight <laughs> <light> of hand. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is a cool guy named Jesus. And the other one is David Blaine. Actually, Chris Angel did it better. You bitch. <laughs> Just going around putting soda in people's mouths. Yeah. He snaps his fingers and, uh, his infinity gauntlet is a little bit busted at him because, uh, he gets rid of all of the dudes on the ship. Cass is like, you freshened up the wrong people, didn't you? <laughs> I know exactly what happened. Yeah. Been there, done that, brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's freshened up all the men, and they are gone. It's a yeah. ship of women now. And he's like, now I have you all to myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Get the fuck out of here, you freak. He cannot bring them back. His hand jive appears to be broken. And Janeway is pissed. This is not going to work. I mean, we know that they have like barely enough people to keep the ship going. And if that number has been cut roughly in half, that would be bad. None of the men on the ship that we know are particularly good at their job besides Kim, though, right? I think yeah. Janeway's got to be looking at the situation like, I'll be fine without Chakotay <laughs> and Paris. And Tuvok has let me down many times. I've had more than one conversation this season about how I'm never going to forget a m thing that Tuvok did. <laughs> I know he's my best friend aboard, but honestly, it's getting old at this point. I say we try a few episodes like this. Now, Adam, how would that sound if Chuck Bronson had said it? I as soon as I just as soon as I finished <laughs> that, I was like, I I ruined the bit. Ah, oh, you fucked up, Adam. Everybody's going to be writing us angry letters now. I'm actually just fine with being the captain of a ship full of women. <laughs> it's going to be okay for me. My wife and daughter being dead. <laughs> this is cold comfort, but comfort nonetheless. You take Chakotay away from me. You take Tuvok. You take Paris. You're going to have me out for revenge, Q. Revenge I shall have. I might say something even worse than what Q does about Chakotay's face tattoo. <laughs> Count your blessings. You don't want to meet me and Kess out in these streets. 
<laughs> We're going to come find you, Q. They conjure another Q, Adam, and this is old Q. This is Delancey Q. Yeah. They start bickering, and I just, like, it hit me in this moment what a long way these guys have come from attempting to pass judgment on all of humanity. <laughs> I became very irritated with this episode right here when it did not seek to differentiate the two Qs by name ever. Yeah. Like until the very, very end when when Comet Q becomes Quinn, we get like two minutes of Quinn. Give me yeah. a fucking break. Well, it also seems to be resisting calling them Qs, plural, yeah. you know? And then it like gives up on that at a certain point. Yeah. Q Delancey is much better at all the Q tricks than Comet Q, though. And that's evident yeah. uh, right up top. They did this in the, like, Q is in trouble on the Enterprise episode, though, right? Like, that it was it was two Qs talking to each other as though Q was their first name. Yeah. I think it's just, like, not as well executed here. You brought all the men back. Thank you. You may go. Sausage Party is back on. <laughs> so this, uh, this comic Q is there for asylum. Like as soon as Q Delancey shows up, Comet Q's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Asylum, that's what I want. That's what I can ask for. Which is, I feel like a rhyme that he bit from Delancey Q also. Yeah, yeah. But Delancey Q acts shocked at this. Yeah, and as a reaction, Comet Q is like, well, I got to get away from Q Delancey and starts moving the ship all around time and around the universe in order yeah. to evade Q Delancey, but Q Delancey knows all the tricks. You yeah. can't hide from Q Delancey. You can't hide in the Big Bang. You can't hide subatomic. You can't hide in the Nexus on the Christmas tree in Picard's fantasy house. Merry Christmas, Uncle. A Merry Christmas to you, too. You know where Comic Q could have hid the ship? On an episode of the Big Bang Theory, because no one would have watched that or found the <laughs> ship there. <laughs> You'll yeah. be safe a very long time in an episode of The Big Bang Theory. But then you'd like meet your mom's friend who lives <laughs> in Minnesota and she would randomly like know all about it and you'd be like, why do you like it? Hugh Delancey would eventually find you taking a commuter jet between Boston and Philadelphia just <laughs> watching some random 26-minute episode on a seatback television because there's nothing else to watch and none of the other channels come in. Or even worse, like preloaded on an iPad. Like you, that's what you got on your iPad for the flight? Like you I downloaded would, that? I would rather face forward like fucking putty and watch nothing <laughs> than watch the Big Bang Theory any day. And it doesn't matter how long the flight is. Wow. Brutal. Yeah. This is why you're going to hell. The hide and seek does not go well for Comet Q. I think if you're Kate Mulgrew, you got to ask for a second take on her anger in this scene because she is spittle angry here. She begrudgingly grants asylum to Comet Q, but but really takes the wood, takes the lumber to Q <laughs> Delancey in the process. <laughs> Great umbrage is taken here. You can see the hard kombucha foam forming in the corners of her mouth. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting episode because it, it kind of turns into courtroom drama at this point at the expense of like having almost anyone else from the show in the episode for most of the rest of the episode. And 
I mean, as a as a fan of Voyager, I was excited at the prospect of a Lawyer Janeway episode. But it's not Lawyer Janeway, it's Judge Janeway. It, she is in the Philippa Louvois chair. In- it's Lawyer Tuvok. That's what I'm saying. Like, there is a little bit of... This episode does not give you what it's selling you up front, I think. Yeah. I think that it would have felt too derivative for part of the like rules of engagement to be that one of the Starfleets had to represent Q continuum. It was especially derivative when Tuvok like reached into comic Q's side body and was like, watch as I cut the puppet strings. (laughs) (laughs) Your Pinocchio is dead. (laughs) Bend this inanimate rod. That really was like the convergence of Mr. Burns and Charles Bronson that nobody ever thought of before. Yeah. Every Starfleet captain wants a hearing on their ship. It's why you become a captain in the first place. You want to host one of these. Yeah. And Janeway jumps at the chance. And Q's love of formality makes this an attractive prospect for Q Delancey also. All right, I accept on behalf of the continuum. I've cosplayed as a judge before. Like, this is a LARP I'm very familiar with, and I'm very excited about it. The stakes couldn't be higher, though, Ben. It's eternal prison for Comic Q versus mortality as a mortal person. And the promise that he will commit suicide if given leave to do so. Right. And that really puts Janeway in a weird bind because she has a moral... She, she, like neither one will be will be something that she feels like she can really approve of. It feels like Q's misogyny is on display in this scene and henceforth in a way that felt unusual for this character. Yeah. I was thinking back on his appearances on TNG and I'd never really felt like he was as loaded up in that way as he is in this episode. I don't think Vash would have hung out with him if he was acting like this. No way. Yeah. And whatever happened to Vash? I think she got sick of him and uh, disembarked the good ship Q on Deep Space Nine, if memory serves. Just give me back my life. You'll regret it if I do. I'm willing to take my chances. It's clear later on, Q Delancey's kind of trolling for his next Vash, isn't he? He does like the cut of Janeway's jib, but... uh, yeah, if he's trying to like do the game by negging her and acting like a misogynist prick, is not working on her. Yeah. So in Tuvok's quarters, Comic Q interrupts his homework, I guess, <laughs> uh, to give both Tuvok and the viewer a convenient backstory speech. Uh, it turns out that the Q is the cheesecake factory of living. Yeah. Really good Chinese chicken salad, by all accounts. Yeah, like really, I mean, neither amazing nor disappointing, just pretty good all the way through. But like if you were ever to go there, you know you'd have a a pretty long wait. You'd have to Mm -hmm. get one of those big buzzers that you carry around the mall. Yeah. And it's like, why would I wait this long for food this unremarkable? (laughs) And yet, if you're in a city like... A Fresno or <laughs> or a Tacoma. It's a safety net that you kind of appreciate. Right. When you're in your state's eighth biggest city, <laughs> 
Sometimes it's the best you can do. That's true. Yeah. So Tuvok is going to be his advocate in this hearing. And Tuvok is uniquely suited to this because there are scenarios under which Vulcans will approve of somebody choosing to take their own life. I mean, in a society as logic-oriented as... (laughs) Vulcans, I guess, like you don't have people that are just suffering from mental illness. Yeah, Tuvok's like, ordinarily we just meld our problems into someone else. (laughs) You take half of this off my shoulders, I'll be able to make it through the next three weeks. (laughs) Yeah, there's something attractive about this for Tuvok. It's, I mean... Hey, do you like how my outfit kind of looks like white Batman? (laughs) Very comfortable day on set for me. It's like a terry cloth bathrobe. That would be perfectly normal thing to wear in the bat cave. And why does Sarek's wife always look so different? <laughs> Seems like every time. Different lady with the same taste in jewelry. Now be careful, you're kind of Bob Dylaning. There. I'm getting into <laughs> Bob Dylan. That's a, a thing that happens to me every time we do this. We every time we throw this party at him, I, I wind up Dylaning a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So the hearing itself starts right away. Why wait, Ben? Yeah. Let's get to the hearing. And uh, let's let's go through the rules. Nothing mm-hmm. below the belt. Right. Marquess of Queensberry. This will not be a circus trial. There is no three knockdown rule. You cannot be saved by the bell. Yeah. And so forth. Delancey Q, no lawyer on his team. Yeah, that's normally a bad sign, right? Representing yourself. Yeah. But, that's uh, a real Robert Durst situation over there. Yeah, but he also like assures her that this is like a really, really big deal from the Q point of view, something that the continuum takes really, really seriously. Yeah. And uh, something they're very concerned about. So the first question actually goes to Comet Q. And uh, the the question is, if if we let you be mortal, why is committing suicide the thing you want to do with that? Yeah, weird flex. basically what he says is i've ticked all the boxes i've done all the stuff no one's ever eaten everything at cheesecake factory and comic (laughs) q has done it he's done it he's literally gone through the menu and crossed every line off no one's ever done that right ben here's the pitch for our next podcast idea oh man everything at cheesecake factory (laughs) An episode by episode (laughs) exploration of everything on the Cheesecake Factory menu. And and we record it at Cheesecake Factory with like labs that are like taped under our clothes so they can't tell that we're recording a podcast. It'll be totally unlistenable. Oh man, people would hate that. Yeah. Almost as much as they hate this show. when When we had Jason Manzoukas as our dinner guest. Yeah, people will love it because the Zooks rules. Yeah. Don't give the guy anything with eggs, though. No. I've got to get that platinum, get that enlargement. <laughs> you might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. 
With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. There's also sort of like an orthodoxy here, though, right? Like the Q continuum has some rules about how to live if you are a Q. Mm -hmm. And when you're a Q, you're a Q all the way, Ben. Mm -hmm. From your first freshen up to your last dying day. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to imagine as a person, right? If I could do everything and anything, why would I want to stop? 
I mean, this is a very data from Star Trek Picard kind of argument, right? Because his argument, as I recall it, is that life has lesser meaning without the specter of an end to it. Like it's the end of a life that actually creates the container for a person's story. The idea of a person having a complete life is impossible without an end to that life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Spoiler alert for life and for Star Trek Picard. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be what Picard season two is basically about is like, do I have to do the data thing now? (laughs) I need Uh, to find someone to cut my strings. So Picard saying, I think I know a guy with a pizza oven. No way. They got to call some witnesses because this is a trial. Yeah. And the first witness that gets called is young girl Q from that one episode of TNG where she found out she was a Q. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. That would have been a nice cameo, right? Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't mean it. Would have been great. Bring her back. I'm back, baby. I've learned how to use my powers. Bring back Olivia Diabo. That's what you got to do for a moment like this. You telling me Olivia Diabo isn't going to pick up the phone? Delancey picked up the phone? Yeah. To be fair, he thought he was picking up the phone for Deep Space Nine and was surprised when he showed up and it was Voyager. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when he showed up, he just told the person driving the golf cart to uh, take them to the Star Trek set. (laughs) He was like, no, 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 not this one. Not this one. (laughs) Yeah. But he has a story about how the continuum doesn't even know like how the math works out. If yeah. you if you DQ a Q, if you give a Q mortality and let them punch their own ticket, what does that even do to the continuum? This to me was far more of a reason to disallow this than the initial defense, which was like Comet Q's mental imbalance being the reason why we can't just allow this person right. to have their own choices here. True. To me, I was like, yeah, if this is like crossing the streams in Ghostbusters, like, yeah, I I would fear the possible outcome here. Yeah. If this is meeting yourself in Back to the Future, it's a fucking nightmare scenario. And I think that there's some careful language use around it being an unknown for the continuum. Like it doesn't, there's never an implication that it would do something to reality or to the time-space continuum. It's the Q continuum specifically. Except when the next three witnesses are brought in, these are witnesses from across time. We've got a Isaac Newton, famous scienceman. Mm -hmm. We've got a Commander Riker, famous Starfleet. And we got a Mari Ginsburg. Yeah. Who's a... Mari Ginsburg. The Mari Ginsburg. <laughs> and the thing about these witnesses that may contradict what you're saying, Ben, is that I felt like their stories were presented in a way that it's not that Comet Q is responsible for all of these good things happening throughout time. In Newton's case, Comet Q shook the tree that the apple fell out of. Uh-huh. In Riker's case, you know, Riker's great, 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 great uncle figure in the Civil War managed to survive that conflict, thus making 
William Riker's birth possible down the, down the line. And then Mari Ginsburg makes Woodstock possible, which I guess is a significant <laughs> moment in human history for some reason. I am so fucking sick of Woodstock shit. Sure. Anyway, Ben, my point is that I couldn't tell whether the episode was going, look at all of the good that Comet Q has done. Hence, Comet Q still has good in him for the future. Or if this was, if we take Comet Q off the board, all of these good things will also dissolve in a back to the future Polaroid type of way. Right. Were you able to get which argument they were making here? Because these are people throughout time. Like, this isn't even current Riker. This is this is round badge Riker. I think the timeline is fucked up because this version of Riker wouldn't have any knowledge of Janeway being in the D-Quad if right. he's in that uniform. Not this time. And I think the episode is also a little self-conscious of its own issue with mm-hmm. it being Riker because of Delancey Q's being a pivotal reason why the Borgs showed up in the A-Quad and Riker being the person that repelled the Locutus attack. Yeah. And what I read was that the episode originally had Jordy as the witness that shows up in this scene. And there were like little Easter egg jokes in the in the script about how Tim Russ had been like a finalist in the casting process to play Jordy. Oh, wow. Like Q would have said something like you could have been the head engineer on the Enterprise if Ouch. not for me or something like that. Tim Russ doesn't deserve that. Yeah, but LeVar Burton was not available to to come in and, and do the role. Totally. Bullshit. So they brought in Frakes instead. And I wonder if that kind of like broke enough story logic in the original script that they didn't have time to like patch all the holes. So it's a bit of a, I don't know, maybe I'm making excuses for the script, but it it doesn't work. I mean, it does explain how strange it is that you go through the trouble of bringing in a Jonathan Frakes as William Riker, and he's gone after a (laughs) three-minute scene. Yeah, I was like, oh, did Frakes direct this one? Is that why he's like in for a second in the way that he was in The Offspring, which was the first episode he directed, and he was in it for one second? because. He was probably too distracted with directing to do a bunch of acting prep also. Do you think John Delancey obscures the stunt casting of Frakes in this episode because it's happening in the same episode? Like, it it felt like this was a deliberate move to do that. I don't know. Like, I don't think of Jordy as having had particularly noteworthy interactions with Q. No, yeah. Riker... Maybe a little bit more, but Q is Picard's adversary, not either of theirs, you know? (laughs) Q Delancey snaps his fingers, brings Jordy into the room. And the same question Jordy always asks when Q is around. Is this your idea of sex? This is the scene I thought for sure Janeway as, as chief adjudicator would be like, you Q's... You know, this This is what happens when you aren't prime directive motivated. You go meddling around in your Woodstock spotlight operators, and all of a sudden, like, it's your main thing. You're, you're just meddlers, and you ruin everything that you touch, and this is why, and this is why the prime directive rules. But there's never a counterargument to being a Q here, and I thought Janeway would live for an argument like that. Yeah, 
And Q's balls are right there to kick. She's not in the role of ball kicking, and it falls to Tuvok. And yeah. instead, he is much more one of us at a Tie-Fi convention. <laughs> He's like, this guy has been locked up for 300 years, so how could any of this have any bearing? And also, if he kills himself, why does it matter if you just want to lock him away? Right. Would it help matters if we went to see what the prison cell looked like? <laughs> is a question floated here. And yeah. so everyone is uh, is hand-jived over to the comet and the phone booth size area that Comet Q would be living in henceforth. Yeah. I guess they had to beam over, over to the to the place where the core sample was beamed out of. That's the only part. Yeah. It was like it was like the world's shittiest forgotten zone or whatever from Superman 2. What's right. that shit called? <laughs> it looked like a frosted shower door yeah. we were shooting through. Yeah. I thought it was an effect, and then I was like, oh no, they just built like a weird clear wall and had them all stand right behind it in the Star Trek caves. That's all this is. The conditions of his imprisonment are what are being presented as a counter argument to allowing this guy permission to end his own life. Like, you don't want to not allow him to end his own life, because if you don't, this is where he'll end up. It's worse than death, right? Worse than death, Adam. And Comet Q's like, I've been suffering. You don't understand. You think that's suffering over on the Comet? Imagine what it's like eating every item on the Cheesecake Factory menu. <laughs> it's brutal. It, it has brutalized me. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Janeway says something in this moment along the lines of, I'm not going to consider the conditions in the prison. Or I guess I guess she actually says, I'm not going to consider the, the prison conditions as part of this hearing. Yamili get a couple of the prisoners and then you start tunneling out. Isn't asylum partly granted based on the conditions that the person would be subjected to if asylum was not granted? Kind of thought that was a factor. Fuck is she talking about? I don't know. I don't know, like, dude. This episode has such a great setup. What if Janeway had to decide between somebody killing themselves or living the rest of their life in prison and their queue? <laughs> the, the question is... Uh, would you kill yourself or live the rest of your life in a cheesecake factory? <laughs> but it's, it is encounter at Farpoint. She was on the other foot, right? Yeah. What if what if the human was put in a position of judging a cue? And that's such a great setup. And it is, I, yeah. I just feel like they keep like running face first into these like logical walls that they didn't figure out. Like so many rakes. <laughs> this episode is beginning to struggle. It really is. Can Comet Q prove suffering, Ben? This is the, this is the question that triggers Tuvok into requesting a break so he can consider that question in the single most concentrated location of suffering known to him. <laughs> <laughs> Where people enter hopeful and hungry and leave disgusted and unsatisfied. A dark and life-sucking place from which there is no escape. Neelix's cafeteria. Inscription over the door that says, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get inside and Neelix tells you what the special of the day is. Yeah. This is a show that is in on that joke, I think. Yeah. When you make this edit. <laughs> it's great. The decision is made, though. Let's go to the continuum. Yeah, that'll be cool. It's a great idea, and it's ex an exciting idea, but we don't get to go right there because first, 
Janeway calls a little meeting in her chambers, but without the defense advocate there, which is a bit a bit unusual. Right. She meets with Delancey Q about whether or not they can find a way to kind of solomonically avoid either outcome. She does not want this guy to commit suicide and she doesn't want him to spend eternity in prison. So uh, she's she brings Delancey Q in here to say, listen, like let let this guy back in, bring him back into the into the fold, make the commitment to me that he's not gonna be in prison and and we'll just call this all good. There's coffee in the vaunted Q continuum. His counter proposal, Adam, is I could get you home. Yeah. I can solve your whole your whole series for you. And Janeway looks out the window and Tom Mervins is floating in space. Like yeah. trying that, to breathe and but can't, and their dog the, is out there too. The dog is struggling. It's it's horrifying. Yeah. She can't accept that as a <laughs> as a gift. <laughs> <laughs> Like Tom Mervins is just banging on the window before his his air gives out. Oh, yeah. it's awful. Really brutal. Space, and then they cut to the wide shot. Yeah, poor guy. Yeah, poor dog. Yeah, that's not really a bribe that she can accept and feel good with herself, though. She wouldn't be able to sleep at night. It's cruel, though, too, right? Like it's not that it's a bribe. It's a bribe with the thing that she wants the most. It's a bribe with the thing that. She wants the most and that costs Q nothing to give. Yeah, that's and it's so brutal. That's the thing that is so maddening about Q and, and kind of one of the reasons that I've never loved Q as a element of the Star Trek universe in general is yeah. like, I, I think that it kind of takes some of the fun about out of what if we were way better as people. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so back in the courtroom, Tuvok makes this pitch. Why don't we go to the continuum? And there's a kind of astonishingly brief conversation between the cues about how this might work. And then we're there. Yeah. Their conversation is basically old desert road, (laughs) weird Texas chainsaw massacre house, a bunch of strange people who have no connection to each other and a pinball machine. Deal. Deal. Hey, speaking of roadhouse, Adam. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of old timey. It's kind of like 1950s-y. Mm-hmm. In in the way that uh, it is presented, I mean the real America, Ben. That's mm. that's what the continuum is, right? The good old days. Yeah, they're playing croquet. One of the balls looks like the planet Earth. Yeah, be careful with that ball, guys. Pretty heady metaphor. You ever yeah. play croquet, Adam? Oh yeah, I love playing croquet. That's fun. It's a fun game. You lettered in croquet at your <laughs> private high school, didn't you? Yeah, I was. Uh, I want well. This is a bit embarrassing to admit, but I was on the JV squad my senior year. Oof. Yeah. Got to keep those grades up, buddy. Yeah. Want to play varsity. You really do. That's why I didn't get into Yale. <laughs> I was recruited for croquet, and then I didn't make, I didn't make varsity. Full ride croquet scholarship to Yale. <laughs> so many of those. Yeah. Interesting bit of business here in this scene is that Q Delancey's behavior and the mortal punishment that he was made to endure actually inspired Comet Q to reject the trappings of an omnipotent life. 
I uh, just rewatched season two, episode 18 of Star Trek Voyager, and there was a lot made early in the episode about how the Q that was imprisoned on the comet was in there for 300 years, but he was also inspired to do everything he did <laughs> by the punishments that were visited on the Q that was played by John Delancey, which would have only happened, you know six or seven years before the events of this episode, and I just wondered why that inconsistency. So I just want to let everyone know that I found the (laughs) William Redfield booth in the merchandise room, and uh, now I have someone to talk to. Thank you very much. (laughs) The disease is immortality, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. And Janeway's the cure. (laughs) BLT makes with the giant metal hypodermic needle. (laughs) They're not going to throw that prop away. You don't just throw something like this away. I thought this this was a pretty compelling moment. In an episode that I felt like was really straining under its own weight at this point, that speech about immortality is the disease felt really good and the moment where they return to the boardroom and Tuvok rests his case very like well executed from a compelling television making standpoint right but that's the night that Janeway goes back to her quarters and is wrestling with the decision she has to make and rolls over in bed and there's Q Q is always popping up in people's beds yeah He's always doing this. This is his main thing. It sucks. It's one of the shittiest things about him. Do you think it was Q who was giving Dan Aykroyd's character in Ghostbusters the the ghostly blowjob? Hi. um, (laughs) I know that the Star Trek universe and the Ghostbusters universe are not technically the same universe, but... I was wondering, just based on your character's interest in showing up surprisingly in people's beds, <laughs> do you think that there's a chance that Q was the one doming off <laughs> the Dan Aykroyd character in the first Ghostbusters movie? I feel like I'm at the wrong convention. <laughs> you see, I'm, I'm wearing this leather duster and I have all this loaf on my face. And yet I'm the only person that looks like me here. (laughs) Our course is locked in. Good. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Janeway is never more angry than she is in the scene where Q has entered her bedroom space. Yeah. Not an enticing pitch either. No. Janeway knows what she's going to do and she still decides to sleep on it. Yeah. It's get head from Q, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll take a shower in the morning, she says. That replicator soup isn't going to eat itself. <laughs> and look, I've got all these rations. <laughs> the next morning, uh, Janeway rules against immortality and for asylum. Yeah. And just like that, Comic Q is mortal. Like, it's instantaneous. Delancey Q keeps up his end of the bargain. Whatever the opposite is of freshening someone up, that's what (laughs) Delancey Q does to Comet Q here. That coffee went cold. Yeah. Dropped a couple of ice cubes in that coffee and uh, and he can feel it right away. He's really excited. Janeway's like, 
Now look, just because you're mortal, I don't want you to go into Neelix's restaurant just yet. <laughs> I want you to try living. Just try a little doing while. things that people actually enjoy. <laughs> try Sandrine's, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe... Maybe try food from the replicator before you make any impulse decisions. I thought it was interesting that she's kind of making the case for life is worth living. Like, she she has a really hard life. The thing that has happened to her and has happened to all of the people to whom she is responsible, for whom she is responsible, is brutal. It's not something I would wish on anyone. And Janeway has maintained a positive outlook through all of that and this was like low-key my favorite moment of the episode i wish there were more of this moment though because while i find her argument you know sincere and good this was the moment where the negotiators on the rooftop like talking to the person on the ledge talking them off the ledge yeah and there wasn't enough ledge here to make it feel like the moment was was climactic. I agree. I think it's a more interesting mo- like character moment for Janeway in the series than it is f- like plot moment in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an interesting pitch and the next scene is her hanging out with Chicote like talking through like hey, like what gig could we give this guy cuz we've like set him up with he's he's got a room, he's got we're going to have to give him a job. He's going to have to have something to do. I mean, but, they can't make him work with Neelix, right? That would just be, that'd be pushing him <laughs> off the roof. Yeah. Well, and Neelix would get super jealous because he would think he was trying to kick it to Cass. Like, hey, you're a being of omnipotent mental energy. I used to be. Maybe we could get together. The patter here doesn't even get to the third and the rule of threes before the doc interrupts their pretty fun conversation about where this guy could end up working because... Doc Holliday is like, look, Comet Q's flatlining down here. Yeah. You better come say goodbye. And so they do. Yeah. Quinn, who, as he is now known, has consumed some hemlock, some uh, no-gatch hemlock, a very Socratic end <laughs> to the great philosopher of the Q continuum. Whatever. Whatever writer's room. Yeah. This is a very writerly choice. And a very, like, producerly choice also, because I feel like one of the fun things about this show could have been all of the weirdos that they pick up and add to the cast along the way. Boy, you said it. Yeah. Like, Neelix sort of felt like he was setting the stage for that, and there have been several times now, like, fucking Grima Wormtongue is locked in a room somewhere on this ship right now. I was just going to say how much more fun of a show it would be if Brad Dourif and he were neighbors, you know? (laughs) And that just kind of becomes the center of the show. Like they're keeping up with the Joneses, who's a weirder freak on the ship. (laughs) Yeah. It'd be great. (laughs) He got that hemlock from none other than Delancey Q. Yeah. Boy, isn't that a surprise. Of all people. This guy was the most against the suicide. I imagine the Continuum won't be very happy with you, Q. I certainly hope not. It turns out the inspiration shoe is on the other foot, because while Comet Q mentioned earlier how inspired he was by Q Delancey, enduring the punishment that he did, 
Turns out uh, Q Delancey was also very inspired by Comic Q. Yeah. Q was happy to do this. The continuum does need to have its unknowns, and uh, and Comet Q sailed into them just now. The tree of continuum must be fertilized with the blood of <laughs> Q from time to time, right? <laughs> yeah. The quote that has kind of been appropriated by a lot of different people on the... It's about Continuum. time we appropriated that that quote yeah. for our show. <laughs> Indeed, Adam. <laughs> Did you like this episode of Star Trek Voyager? This episode had all the makings of an episode I would like. And yet I don't think I did. You ever, like, make a recipe from a chef that you really admire and you get all the good stuff to make it? And when you finally put all the ingredients together, it's just, like, fine. But yeah. you look at all the money you spent and all the, like, top-shelf ingredients, like the good stuff. You went to the good market yeah. for all this stuff. You, uh, you got maybe... the red boat fish sauce. You didn't just get the regular-ass fish sauce. It feels like it didn't rise to the level of its own ingredients. It's all here. It's all here, but the end result. And that was the feeling that I had by the end. That's a really good analogy. And I I feel very similarly about it. It's an episode that has so many things that I like and so many things that I wish worked better together. It falls flat and I don't get why. Yeah, I don't either. And I mean, if Q ever comes back and that's the threat at the end of the episode, he's gonna. Yeah. I'm hoping and expecting it would be a better Q episode than this. Yeah. Like, it really feels like an episode that was, like, trying to say a thing. This is peak 90s right-to-life topical Star Trek here yeah. with all of the trappings. And maybe it's just our 2020 sensibility that a story like this can't impress. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe this was just a story for its time. Yeah, did this hit harder in the, like, Terry Schiavo era? It had to have. That was such a weird thing that, like, has really, like, gone out of the national yeah. conversation. Like, the Jack Kevorkian, Terry Schiavo yeah, conversation no, continuum. No one's talking about Schiavo's tubes anymore. Banished to an asteroid somewhere. Yeah. Talking about other shit. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. Well, Adam, <laughs> You want to talk about something a lot funner than Terry Schiavo? The right to a priority one's life never in question on the greatest generation. Let's see yeah. what's in the P1 inbox. That's a that's a kind of dignity that we can grant any friend of DeSoto <laughs> as long as they as long as they get a P1. <laughs> priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message here is from Victoria, and it's to Misters Harrison and Pranica, and also Zach, a guy who is just a little bit embarrassed to be in a relationship with me. Ah. I'm sure by me that means Victoria. Uh-huh. Uh, goes like this. Please help. I've conceived of a brilliant bad bit moment that my partner doesn't believe is funny when I do. Truly the definition of a bad bit moment. 
could one or both of you please perform your best John F. Kennedy as a Vulcan? Maybe doing a mind meld. I got this one, Ben. Okay, you want to take the bad bit? We will go to the moon. (laughs) Not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Wow. Uh... (laughs) You picked the wrong episode for an impression, Victoria. <laughs> that uh, was not a logical response to that prompt. <laughs> so uh, the message ends. Thank you for that, and thank you for enjoying Voyager for our collective entertainment. Thank wow. you, Victoria. Yeah, thanks, Victoria. Ben, our second priority one message is from Liz and Becca, and it is to Aaron. That message goes like this. Happy birthday to our favorite person. Wow. Picard is the best captain and Spock is the best commander. And this is the greatest Star Trek themed birthday gift. We love you. Hey, happy birthday, Aaron. Pretty emphatic opinions there. Top person in Liz and Becca's estimation. So that's great. Yeah. Given their favorite captain and their favorite commander, Aaron has got pretty big bridge crewman shoes to fill, (laughs) it would seem. And if you're talking about giant Spock, those those shoes are even bigger. That's a really big shoe. (laughs) Yeah. Get a load of that shoe. Shoe thick. Mini Spock shoe. Spock shoe regular size. (laughs) Whoa-ha-ha-ha. Adam, that was the rare P1 that nailed the date. What? Birthday is September 27th. This episode comes out on September 27th. We need a crazy fanfare for this. This never happens. <laughs> <laughs> like when the, when the team wins the Super Bowl, there is there's a whole thing that happens. Yeah. Liz and Becca did it. They did it. They nailed it. Um if you'd like to if you'd like to get a date nailed down, yeah. You're going to want to get out ahead of it like Liz and Becca must have. Wow, I scrolled and scrolled and it's looking pretty packed on the P1 boards. Yeah. We keep it packed. We stay packing, but uh we keeping it tight. I think you can do it. If you if you pick a date in uh in 2022, you could probably do it. So uh head to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I feel like Neelix is... His performance made me laugh the most in this episode. Just the, like, like, this is probably about me. The narcissism of Neelix being a a running gag got me this time. And his (laughs) assumption that somebody showing up in the mess hall that wasn't him being for sure the end of his employment on Voyager. Knee got you like? Knee got me like. <laughs> I see. How about you, Adam? I, I feel like Star Trek does not learn its lesson with characters like this because when we sent Kira and O'Brien back in time to the 60s as flower children, the mm-hmm. flower child vibe just clangs every time we see it on this show. And when Mari Ginsburg shows up, Mari Ginsburg, the character played by the actor named Mari Ginsburg. Yeah. It's not Mari Ginsburg's fault that this is a clang. He's he's a very funny person portraying yeah. a very funny character. But one of these things is not like the other. Right. This is like a Benjamin R. Harrison 
sitting down next to a Jonathan Frakes in first class. Yeah. Their incompatibility is laid bare due to their proximity. And you get Amari Ginsburg next to an Isaac Newton, next to a Commander Riker. Yeah. That's my Shimoda. I would have liked more from him. Just we know what it's like when a Mintakin shows up on a starship. Yeah. That is what it should have been like for Mari Ginsburg, you know? Yeah, because the comedy that the show thinks this scene has, they give to Janeway in her explanation to these characters about where they are and why before yeah. she gives up. But I don't think that's as funny as Mari Ginsburg possibly losing his mind in this moment. <laughs> yeah. And having to be restrained. <laughs> Maybe it's less the specific character of Mari Ginsburg and more the concept of Amari Ginsburg that is my drunk Shimoda. Yeah. So if you're if you're keeping track, Mari Ginsburg and in parentheses the concept is my drunk Shimoda this episode. Yeah. This episode written by Sean Pillar, the son of Michael Pillar. Yeah. And I wonder if some more editing didn't happen due to a nepotism effect. Oh boy. Good question. I don't know. This is his first writing credit. He got a credit on the Journey's End episode of TNG. He was 23 years old. He went in and pitched this story himself, and his dad wasn't in the room. His dad said, go do this thing if you care about it so much. Yeah. Michael Piller uh, waited outside like a gentleman. I mean, I like that, but I also, like, that's not the full effect of nepotism, you know? <laughs> the other the other thing is, like, all of the other people that are like, hey, this is, is a shitty idea. Maybe we don't do it, is what they're thinking, but what they, <laughs> what they yeah. say is nothing. Yeah, guess what? Waiting outside of the conference room uh, does not, <laughs> does not defang the specter of nepotism. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not dragging Sean Piller. Uh, you know, if I ever got to write a full hour episode of a television show, I'm sure I would do worse. I'm just speculating on, on why there are so many script issues in a script that is full of really good ideas. And like Sean Piller, still a very successful executive producer in Hollywood. Yeah. He's doing great. And he's a hunk. I looked up a picture of him. Good looking guy. Yeah. So he's doing all right. He's fine. Look at how good looking he is. What the hell? Seems a little unfair. God, and then you look at us. Just a couple of fucking piles of garbage. Fuck. I wish I'd been born a pillar. <laughs> Adam, let's go over to the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. Our next episode is season two, episode 19. Life Signs. The doctor falls in love with a Vidian woman stricken by the deadly phage. Oh, jeez. So you know the doc's in it for the personality, right? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we know what the phage does, and yeah. uh, the phage is not pretty. It's not pretty, Adam. Uh, and also not pretty is our condition here on the game board. We are uh, stuck in that rift between that banger and that corks bar. We can't hit that corks bar. We 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 could hit the his eyes uncovered square on uh square twenty one. We could hit the banger again, but right now we're on square nineteen. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm gonna roll this bone. Fingers crossed. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. I hit a one, Adam. Wow. So we have 
We have stayed on the second row of the game of buttholes. We've been here for months, I think. It's been it's been brutal. It's been a real drag. I think it's great. I think the episodes have never been better. Friends of DeSoto, I, I'm sure, are pissed off at us at this point. We should throw this thing in reverse. Let's start rolling to go the other way and see if that changes our luck. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, like... We, we've got a row with a Quark's bar and a Coco Nono on it, and we didn't hit either of them this playthrough. We got to throw these dice off the table like a bad craps roller. Yeah. Get them out of here. Indeed. Well, that'll be a regular old episode next time when we discuss life signs, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I like a regular app. I'd, I'd rather not have kombucha squirt in my eye. Uh, right at the beginning of recording the next yeah, episode. That really set the tone, huh? It really did. Hey, you know what else sets the tone, Adam? The Friends of DeSoto who support the show at MaximumFun.org slash join every month. Yeah, tone setters, every one of them. It's their support that makes the show possible, obviously. If you enjoy the program, please recommend it to someone you love or someone you don't like that much. <laughs> if you think they would like our deal. Bring it up uh, in a job interview. Yeah. See how that goes. Get a t-shirt from podshop.biz and wear it to a job interview. See how that goes. Yeah. Maybe you're in the waiting room of your orthodontist. You can just uh, plug right into the Bluetooth speaker. Ask to charge your phone, but what you're really doing is playing some Greatest Gen. Yeah. It's fun for all ages. Uh <laughs> Hey, we got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made the Janeway song, the theme music of uh, this current incarnation of The Greatest Generation, and Dirk Materia, who made the original Picard song. Uh, we really appreciate both of them. We also appreciate Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who uh, rocks our social media handles at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter and moderates the chat when we do live streams on Twitch. Yeah, you can find Friends of DeSoto just about everywhere on social media. Like Twitter and Instagram. Like the Discord at DrunkShimoto.com. Like the Miriam Facebook pages. There's a wikia, greatestgen.wikia.com, where you can like look into the origins of things that we say here on the show. I was just there the other day during an edit. I was like, why did I say this? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that's a bit. That's why I say that. Wow. It's just become part of our language, and yeah. sometimes you forget the origins of those things. Yeah. We need we need it for our own etymology. Yeah, I mean, the greatest generation has sort of turned to Marion a little bit, and it's vernacular. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird way to be. Well, anyways, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of the greatest generation Voyager, where uh, we uh, start chasing the bug ourselves the duck better be careful <laughs> you don't want to catch anything strap it up <laughs> if you're gonna be dealing with a woman with the phage you know in the 70s we didn't seem to care we'd throw it into anything that moved cocaine was good for you and nobody had any venereal diseases but now now my jock looks like a pile of raisins. <laughs> <laughs>
comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.